I had to wait for those 747 lights to shine on me, then we can go. Well, good morning, I welcome you, and I welcome all of you who are watching online. I want to tell you, we are so glad that you're with us here today. If you are a guest here this morning, I want to encourage you that there will be one of the people that call Central Community their home. They'd be glad to take you to the guest services. We've got a gift for you. It's just our way of saying we're so glad that you've come to worship with us. And if you're looking for a church home, we're praying that you might consider making Central Community your church home. And so now, for all of those that call Central Community their church home, I want to remind you of the 10-foot rule and the three-minute rule, okay? But I need to probably explain that because it's been a little while since we talked about that because somebody thought the 10-foot rule means that you stay 10 feet away from everybody. That's not what that means, okay? The 10-foot rule means that whenever anybody comes within your 10-foot radius, you just say hi to them. Welcome. I don't know if I know you. Introduce yourself. The three-minute rule is that three minutes before service and three minutes after service, spend some time getting to know somebody in your area that you don't know before. So welcome. We're in a series right now called Mountain Man. It's a story of Elijah. We're right in the middle of it. We got two more weeks to go after this week. So have any of you ever had this thought, when is enough enough? Have you ever experienced that in your life? When is enough enough? All right, now, what I'm about to tell you, for those of you who are younger, and I think about Rafe and Thatch and some of those, please do not use this, what I'm about to tell you, because it could be hazardous to your health, okay? So when I was younger, we used to wrestle with our little brothers. That's kind of what we did in the neighborhood. We would, all of us oldest brothers, we would get together and we would have wrestling matches, okay? I lived in West Bend, Wisconsin there, and I was kind of into all-star wrestling. There was a wrestler by the name, who's from Milwaukee, his name was The Crusher. And The Crusher had a wrestling move that I thought I needed to learn. And so here's what he would do. He would get his opponent and he would just get him in a headlock. And then he would take his, 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 his knuckles and he would just do what they called the Dutch rub and he would just grind and grind and grind and grind and grind, okay? Then when the person who was in the hold, when they would reach up to stop the hand from giving them the Dutch rub, you grab their wrist with both hands, you swing them around and you lift up and now their arm is behind their back. All right, now, the purpose of these wrestling matches was to get our little brothers into a position of submission. In other words, they couldn't get out until we heard those famous words, uncle. So you would just apply the pressure, and then you would hear, you'd listen for those words, and they always came, uncle, uncle, uncle. Now, you know what that means, don't you? means I give up. The pain is tremendous. I can't handle anymore. Stop and stop it now. You ever experienced that in life? You're going through a time and, man, it just seems like everything goes wrong. And then one thing after another happens. And then one circumstance after another circumstance, and pretty soon you get to this point where you're thinking, I can't handle one more thing, for I'm about to lose it. You know what I mean, don't you? In Israel, the mountains are pretty high. And because the mountains are so high, the valleys seem even lower. 
the shepherd's job is always to take his sheep from one pasture, now listen, to a greener pasture. But to get to the greener pasture, guess what? They have to go through the valleys. And it's in the valleys that the predators await the sheep. Now we all know that sheep are very fearful animals, but when there is a good shepherd, the sheep are never afraid. They're completely calm. You know why? It's because when stress comes into their life, they feel the presence of their shepherd. But not only do they feel his presence, but they hear his voice. Some of you right now may be going through what I just described. You've had about enough. You can't take one more thing. So what is it that's going to get you through? It's going to be the presence and the sound of the voice of your shepherd. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from 1 Kings chapter 17, and I'm going to read verses 17 through 24. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and finally, he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself on the boy three times and he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and he said, look, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, when the trials of life seem to overwhelm me, allow me not just to feel your presence, but hear your voice. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before we go any farther, I want to stop for a minute and I want to begin with verse 17, the very first few words. And I want to remind you, as we talked about this a couple weeks ago, in the, in the NIV here, 
The Bible says that sometime later, in the King James Version, it says, and it came to pass. All right, I want to just pause for a moment, and I want to remind you of what those words mean whenever you read the Bible. Whenever you read the Bible, those words mean, reader, beware. There's a change that's about to come. In other words, everything that God has planned to happen up until this point has now been fulfilled. God's plan has been accomplished. So guess what? There's a change about to come. And I just want to remind everybody, nothing stays the same, right? This woman has been blessed now for more than a year, a couple years in fact. God has provided for her, for Elijah and the child, and now something changes, and it happens quickly. You know what it is, don't you? The woman's little boy dies. I've done a lot of funerals in my ministry, and I want to tell you the thing that I hear all the time whenever I do the funeral of a child is this. Parents aren't supposed to bury their children. It's a very difficult time, so you can about imagine what this widow is going through. But I want you to know that what the Bible says here is not only did the little boy die, but it actually reads that he died, and he died quickly. In other words, there was no way that they could call for a doctor. There was no way to gather the life group together to pray for them. No, it all happened very quickly. Right now, I want to pause for a moment, and I just want you to hear these words. God's ways are not our ways. Will you say that with me? God's ways are not our ways. I know that all of us at some point in time in our lives, we have experienced what it looks like or what it feels like to have the smile of God upon us. Everything's going well. We are blessed. Life is good, right? And then you get the phone call. There's a termination. There's a broken relationship. There's a horrible diagnosis. There's an accident. You know what I'm talking about, right? All of a sudden, everything changes. The same thing happened for many of those men and women who were in the Bible. It happened to David. It happened to Daniel. It even happened to Jesus Christ himself, where everything seemed to be going well, and then all of a sudden, whammo, everything changes. I want to go to the New Testament, to 1 Peter, and I want to show you this verse here, okay? Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal that has come on you to test you. And though something, as though something strange were happening to you. So what's happening here? What we know is that the woman was a recipient of God's good blessings, right? So here's what I want you to hear this morning. Sometimes in your life, God will allow you to experience his blessing so that he can prepare you to walk through the fiery trials and furnace. I want to say that again. Sometimes 
God allows you to experience the goodness of our God so that it can help you go through the fire trials and the difficult times in your life. That's sometimes kind of hard to hear, isn't it? But if you think that's hard to hear, now wait till what you hear next. Your test, your, excuse me, your faith will be tested in the fire. Okay? I want you to hear me. At some point in time in your life, and probably more than once, your faith will be tested in the fire. Now, here's the question. Why? Why is it such a big deal that God has to test my faith? Here's the answer. To make sure that your faith is genuine. Now, you mean to tell me, Pastor Bob, God doesn't know if my faith is genuine? No, no. It's to make sure you know that it's genuine. Well, why do I need to know that my faith is genuine? Here's why. Because you can't make it through the fiery trials unless you know you have a faith to stand on. And my friends, someday when the Lord God calls you, when it's your time to enter into his gates, it's going to be your faith that's going to get you to those pearly gates. When Satan comes and he goes after your mind and he begins to whisper things, you're not worthy of heaven, you're not worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, he couldn't do what he said he did for you. Your faith is what's going to bring you home. And that's why it is so important that you understand that your faith must go through the fire so that you and I can know that it's genuine. Let's go to our story. We are better, to, or we, let me just say, we are better fitted to meet adversity when we've tasted the Lord's goodness, okay? That's what I meant to say. Okay, now let's go on to the story. Here's the story. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? All right, now, before we get into this, I want to jump to the New Testament because there's something that James tells us that's very important about our attitudes, okay? Look what it says here. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to this so that you understand this. It does not say that you should be happy in your trials, What it does say is this, your joy comes from the result of the fiery trial that you go through. And what is it that is the result? A genuine faith. So James says, don't be surprised when they come. They're going to come. But recognize the purpose of these trials. And when you recognize the purpose, you can look at the outcome with joy because you know the purpose. Right? All right, now, what did the widow do? When the fiery trial hit, and all of a sudden her son is dead, what did she do? Well, you know what she did? She did the same thing many times what you and I do. She blamed God, didn't she? What are you talking about, Lord? Are you kidding me? Why have you taken my son? Do you realize what I have done for you, God? I just provided a home for your profit. There's food. I did his bedding. I did everything for your profit. And this is how you repay me? 
And then what did she do? She turned on Elijah. You! You man of God! Your presence in my house has cost me the life of my son. This widow actually believes that Elijah was commissioned by God to do what? To punish her for her sin. Okay, I want, I want you all to hear this, fellow believers, okay? That's not the way God works. That's not the way God works. You see, what this widow is going through is not a punishment for her sin, but it is to demonstrate the glory of God. Take a look at this. Affliction doesn't always come because of sin. I'm gonna say that again. Affliction doesn't always come because of sin, but it does always give opportunity for a cleansing of the heart. Just like you, I've gone through some tough times. I've had that phone call, in fact, I get a lot of those phone calls that nobody wants to hear. Sometimes it deals with the stuff in my life, most of the time it deals with stuff that some of you are going through and you need help. I know what it's like to get those phone calls, but here's what I want you to understand. When I go through those times, there is a tendency, even in my heart, if I don't check it, to do this. I wonder what I did wrong. But I want you to understand, that's not what God is doing necessarily. But when that's happened, here's what I do. When I go through a fiery trial, when I go through a test, the very first thing when that thought comes to my mind, I wonder if there's anything in my life, here's what I do. I go to God and I pray his word to him. And here's what I say to him. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is in my heart any wicked way. And if there is, you know what God's very good about doing? He'll tell you. And then when he tells me what it is, maybe that he is getting my attention for, you know what I do? I confess it. I own it. You're right. I did it, God. I'm the one who did it. I'm responsible. I own it. I confess it. Forgive me. And then you know what I do? I move on. But if maybe if what you're going through is just a test of your faith, and you ask God, is there anything in my life that you're trying to purge me of? Here's what I want to tell you. If he doesn't bring anything to mind, then just continue on in the center of his will. Agreed? Now, I want to tell you something before we go on in this story, and this is a very important fact. You need to know that up until this point, there is no recorded resurrection in the Bible. Okay? This is Elijah. Remember, it's some 800 and some years till Christ comes. But up until this point, nobody has ever heard of a resurrection. Well, watch what happens here. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. So here's a question to think about as we go through this part of the story. Did the widow have faith? What do you think? I don't know, but we're about to find out, aren't we? But did you notice how Elijah reacts to the story? He's devastated. He is grieving. 
because this woman that God has used as the very instrument to provide for him is suffering. And because she hurts, Elijah hurts. Now, I want to pay attention here real quickly to what Elijah does, but I want to start out by telling you and reminding you of what Elijah does not do. You know what Elijah does not do? He never questions God. He never asks why. All he simply does is he goes to the widow and he takes the boy from her arms. Well, we know there's a relationship, right? I mean, if you're a mama and you just lost your son, are you going to give the body of your son to just anybody, especially if you're mad at them? There's a relationship there. So what does Elijah do? He takes the body and he goes upstairs to his room and he lays the body on the bed. And then he prays. You know what gets me about this story? It's what Elijah does first. The first thing he did when he saw this tragedy happening is he goes to God first. And I just want to remind you and encourage you Whenever you go through difficult times, don't make God the last thing you go to. Make him the first thing you go to, even if all you do is whisper his name. So what does Elijah do? There's three things that he does in this prayer that kind of jump off the pages at us. You know what the first thing he does? He says this, my Lord, my God. In other words, he makes this personal, doesn't he? Elijah's telling us, he's reminding God, hey, remember the covenant relationship we have? You're God, you're a God, I'm yours, I'm your child. You told me in the Old Testament, if I'm obedient to you, that you will be my God, you are my God. I'm crying out to you, my God. And I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life that I've had to cry out to God, and I can't tell you, I cannot imagine my life without having God in it. And it's not just God, he's my God, he's your God, he's my father, he's my dad. And I am so glad that I know who he is because when I go through the difficult times, I can say, my God. But then do you see what the second thing that happens? After he calls out my God, Elijah recognizes that this is a part of God's plan. He sees God's hand in what he's doing. And the third thing he does is not only does he call out my God, not only does he recognize this is part of God's, but he realizes that God is working in the life of the widow. Have you ever seen God working in somebody else's life? Tell me, what do you want to do? Huh, poor you, you're on your own. That's not what you do, don't you? You want to run alongside of them and you want to encourage them. That's why we gather as a body. There are some of you that are going through some very difficult times. Can you think about those families who lost Marines in Afghanistan? Can you imagine? They got the call. They saw the car drive up and they were told, I'm so sorry. But on behalf of a grateful nation, and you know the rest of it, can you imagine the hurt, the devastation that they're going through? And what does God call us to do as his church? To stand alongside of them 
And it's not about what you say, it's about what you do. And maybe all you do is you stand, you put your arm around them, and you cry with them. There are people in this very room that are going through some tough, tough times. And you know what they need? They need their brothers, they need their sisters in Christ to come and put their arms around you and simply say to them, I don't know what to say, but I'm here. And maybe all I can do is cry with you. That's okay. That's the body of Christ. And we find out now that Elijah has a very close relationship with this little boy. I mean, do you see some of the things that Elijah did? Kind of strange, aren't they? I mean, think about this. What's the first thing Elijah did? He did a big no-no. He touched a dead body. You were not supposed to touch dead bodies in those days because that made you unclean. But Elijah doesn't care. He goes and he takes this lifeless body from the widow and he takes this body upstairs. Why would Elijah do that? You know what I think it is? It's a real simple answer. Desperate times call for desperate measures. But there's something else he does. And I don't know about you, and I'm not sure exactly why he did this. In fact, sometimes I kind of go, hmm. Remember what he did? The Bible says he laid on top of the boy. He stretched himself out over the boy. What in the world? What do you think happened? Well, I'd love to say, here, here's the biblical answer, but there really isn't one. But there's a couple things that just kind of come to mind. When I read this story, and the Bible tells us that Elijah stretched himself over the body, do you remember how many times? Was it one? Was it two? It was three. So let me just ask you, so what do you think about when you hear number three? I think about three days in a tomb, in another tomb, don't you? A resurrection. Death could not hold our Savior. And because of that, you and I live anew. It's almost as if maybe what Elijah is doing is he is putting himself over the little boy. He is a child of the king, and he knows that even though he is full of life and the child is dead, he recognized that life conquers death. And that's what Jesus did. I guarantee you, on that day, when God comes calling, you're going to treasure those words. And you're going to have faith and you're going to have strength in those words because you're going to realize, you know what? Jesus conquers death and I have nothing, nothing to fear. So one other thing I just want to add to this. So what is it that gets God's attention? Let's look at this. This is in the New Testament. You know this story well. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Have you ever done anything that you think causes Jesus to be amazed at you? And turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such a great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is the story of the centurion. You know this story, right? He called for Jesus to come and to heal his servant. And when Jesus comes, before Jesus even gets a mile or two miles away, the Roman centurion, he sends out word to Jesus, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy of you coming. I know who you are. 
And I also know all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. That amazed Jesus. What was it? It was faith. Now don't forget this. Actions demonstrate your faith. When Elijah took that boy in his arms and he laid him on that bed and he stretched himself over that body, he was saying to God, I know that you are God over all things and I realize there's never been a resurrection, but I am putting my faith in you. You can raise this boy from the dead. And that got God's attention, didn't it? Let's close with this. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. Can I just stop there for a moment? Put your name in there. Put your name in there. The Lord heard Bob's cry. And the boy's life returned to him. And he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Can you imagine what that reunion looked like? Can you imagine? I'll bet that woman was screaming, oh, Jesus, she was, oh, can you imagine that? She goes and picks up her son. Can you imagine? She floods him with kisses, and he's probably saying, Mom, get a grip. But he was dead, and now he's alive. And the Bible tells us that's the same joy that we have over one sinner who repents. I was fired up this morning when Laura got in the baptismal waters. She started coming to our church just a little over a year ago. She came to church one time, and then the church got shut down. I go, boy, you're powerful. <laughs> but she heard the call of Jesus. And today, she walked through the waters of, of, of baptism, and she said, I'm wearing the jersey of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the rest of my life. And you know what I heard people do it? Woohoo! Do you realize what happened when Laura received Jesus Christ as her Savior? She was dead, and now she is what? Alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. All right, here's a tough saying. Sometimes God has to wound us deeply to heal us totally. You know, you've heard before of a surgeon. They go into the operating and they said, you know what, we had to take a little bit more than we thought, but we wanted to make sure we got it all. You've heard that before, right? And that's what happens sometimes in our life. Sometimes we have to go a little bit deeper with God. Sometimes the hurt is a little bit more painful. Why? So the healing can be complete. Now, I want to just share with you what is it that Elijah's learning. And I think there's three things that Elijah's learned from our story so far. Okay? From the very beginning, here's the first thing Elijah learned. God cares for me. God cares for me. The second thing I think he learned is this. God will use me to help others. And then there's a third thing, and this is the one I want you to hear loud and clear. God can do the impossible through you. I just want that to sink in. God still does miracles. 
God can do the impossible through you. Want me to prove it to you? All right, I will. In the last several months, there's been a little girl and a little boy in Sudan, and they haven't had any food. And so what they've been doing is they've been praying, and they've been asking their mom, and they've been asking their dad, where are we going to get our food? We, we need some food. If we don't get food, we're going to die. And the Lord God heard their prayer. Several thousands of miles away, in a town called Wichita, at a church called Central Community, he put it on the heart of a group of people, a little over 300, to gather together and pack some meals. You see the pictures. Over 67,000 meals were made. And now those meals are already on their way to Sudan. And that little girl, and that little girl, and that little boy's prayer was answered. The impossible came about because of you. Because of you. In the very beginning of the story, when we were introduced to Elijah, do you remember what, the, what it said? All of a sudden, this man comes on and says, Elijah from Tishbe. Elijah the Tishbite. That's what he was known as, right? Did you happen to notice what he is now known as to the widow? A man of God whom she knows speaks God's truth. Don't you want to be known as a man of God? Don't you want to be known as a woman of God? May this be said of us all. Stand with me as we close in prayer.